Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Aussie Monsters podcast. Never did I think that I'd be doing a second episode of this podcast. My guest today is the only female driver to pilot the Gravedigger machine, Kristen Anderson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. So, Kristen, getting straight into things, what's it like being the only female driver of Gravedigger? How do you, how cool is that for you? Uh, that is really cool, actually. Um, I am the first and only female driver of Gravedigger, and that happened about four years ago in the beginning of my career. I debuted in 2017, and all the way up until that point, Gravedigger had gone 35 years without ever having a female driver and uh i am my dad's only girl i'm adam and ryan and weston's only sister so what more appropriate than to have the only female anderson be the only first and only female to drive gravedigger uh, the anderson legacy truck so it's been really great um i love loving every minute of it uh it's really cool that i get to come out here and not only represent gravedigger and my family's brand and represent you know team anderson but i also get to represent all the ladies exactly and you were saying that you made your debut on the uh, 35th anniversary of the that is uh really quite cool to hear that you made your uh debut during the 35th anniversary and just going on with that how cool was that to for you adam and ryan to do the 30th 35th anniversary while your dad was watching on the sidelines as he had an injury so how cool was that to be a part of um, it felt really good. You know, like you said, dad had had an injury earlier that year that had put him out of his final year of Gravedigger or, you know, competing with Gravedigger. And uh, it was a really emotional year for me and my family. And especially, you know, dad making his way out, me making my way in. It was a big transition. And uh, the 35th anniversary encore. I can't really describe it. I had so many nerves. I was so nervous because I had been in the Sam Boyd Stadium for you know, almost 20 years since I was a little teeny baby watching my dad compete. And then I got to watch Adam compete and then Ryan. And then now here, here I was about to make my very first debut, my very first time down Thunder Alley, my very first time ever doing a backflip. And I had to do it in front of 60,000 Monster Jam fans. <laughs> so it was uh, quite a nerve wracking experience. But it was a really emotional one. It was really emotional for me and my family, especially my dad. And it will always hold a special place in my heart. I'll never forget that memory. Yeah, and I watched videos on it on YouTube and it looked absolutely amazing. I wish I could have been there. Um, But moving on, uh, how did you get your start in Monster Jam? Well, I wasn't always going to, you know, follow the family tradition of driving trucks. I had always, you know, been very passionate about motorsports because of my family. It was something that me and my brothers and my dad had bonded over. We loved going to the, you know, off-road style racing, like mud bogs, watching mega trucks race, obviously, you know, watching monster truck shows. But um, I am artistic. I can draw. And so I was actually going to go to college and get a degree in graphic design and learn how to do art more digitally because that's how it is now it's we live in a digital world as I'm sitting on here doing a podcast (laughs) and uh, I was going to work for Monster Jam being a part of their art department team uh, still being involved in the family business but I wanted to do kind of what Jim McShay does where he gets to create and design and paint you know like Gravedigger like the graveyard scene that's on the side of Gravedigger or be a part of creating those new trucks but um, there was an opportunity that had opened up they wanted to add a third triple threat tour 
They obviously needed a grave digger on that tour. They need a grave digger on every tour. And they never had a female drive grave digger. So Monster Jam, you know, reached out to my dad, who then reached out to me and was like, would you have any interest driving? You know, I mean, my dad already had Adam and Ryan that that he was able to pass the torch on to Mm -hmm. and someone that he could count on to continue his legacy. But I don't think he would have guessed that all four of his children, even my little brother included, would be interested in carrying on a grave digger legacy, but we have, and that's how I got my foot in the door. I went out, I tested a truck for the very first time. I wasn't even sure if I would do well at it because Adam and Ryan had taken to it so naturally, like they just had it in their blood, just like my dad. And I wanted to know if it was in my blood. So I went out there, tested in the truck, came to it pretty naturally, obviously with some bumps here and there on my first tour my first rookie year but I you know it was a pretty rough rookie year I came in when Monster Jam was pretty hot into the two-wheel skills era and the backflips and the corkscrews and everything else but you know I just kind of kept getting up kept going and that's that's where I am now so I love it I love that decision I made and I might come back and pick up my art portfolio again and draw or you know create art here and there but Monster Jam I'm really happy that I was, you know, when decided to go on the road and tour with Monster Jam. Amazing. And I I love hearing the different stories of how drivers getting, you know, uh, back to my first podcast when Adam was telling me about how um, he was getting in and just different podcasts that I've listened to about how drivers have gotten in. Um, yeah, so it's amazing to see uh, your road to getting, to getting into Monster Jam. You know, you're going to uni to get an art degree and then, uh, you know, they're two different worlds. So it's just, it's really cool to hear the uh, different ways that you can you can get into Monster Jam. Oh yeah, there's opportunities for everybody. You don't just have to have your dad doesn't have to just be Dennis Anderson or Tom Mintz or anybody. I mean, there's you know the Ty Englands and the Tyler Meningas and you know tons of people that have came from outside of Monster Jam and have really started to pave their way and make a name for themselves in the sport. So, I mean, I really think that if anybody can is passionate about enough about it and is willing to put forth the work, they could do what they wanted if that's what they want to do. Exactly. Uh, so what is your favorite part about a Monster Jam event? Oh, man, I it's it's kind of hard to because, I mean, obviously we love driving the trucks. That's I mean, we probably have one of the most funnest jobs in the world. I can't even call it a job, really. <laughs> um, but it would probably be I love competing in the truck. I loved also from growing up on one side of kind of seeing my dad's fans here and there, seeing my dad interact with his fans. I mean, my dad has always been very personable with his fans. So it wasn't uncommon for me and my little brother when we were young to get to know, you know, he would have fans come over and, you know, be involved in our family or make a wish children or anything like that. But for me to actually go out and stand in an autograph line and stand at pit party and people wait in line to come and see me because they knew who my dad was. That was a very crazy experience for me, actually being on the front line and shaking hands and hugging fans that have seen my dad for so long. And now they are bringing their children to come and see me. So that's, that was a really cool experience too. Yeah. So what do you think, how do you think Monster Jam is so different than any other motorsport in the world? Um, I think it's different in a lot of ways. I think that Monster Jam is really unique for the amount of fan interaction that we have. We are, our fans are very accessible to us, whether it's, you know, our pre-show interview where we go up into the crowd and actually interview before every event, or it's our pit party or our VIP passes or 
anything like that. I think that, you know, Monster Jam is very hands-on and very accessible to the fans. And also, there is really no other vehicle in this world that you could compare to a monster truck. I mean, I don't know really any other sport that crashes a truck every event for, you know, for the event. So I think that Monster Jam is unique in a lot of ways in the, you know, schematics and everything of how the trucks are built, the object of the events that we do, the two-wheel skills, the racing, the freestyle. There's no other motorsport really. I mean, you can consider freestyle motocross or something like that. But if you take a 12,000 pound truck and freestyle it, do backflips with it, that's a lot different. So uh, I think yeah. Monster Jam's unique in a lot of ways. Awesome. Um, so Kristen, because you've been in both a stadium and an arena, what do you find better? Do you find the stadium, I can say, shows better? So, you know, uh, World Finals or any other stadium show, or do you find the arenas better? Uh, well, I personally, I really enjoy the stadium shows. And a lot of people will tell you they enjoy the stadium shows just because the stadium show is so big, obviously. The floor is so big. It's much easier to maneuver around in. And you usually only do about two events a weekend, too. Whereas on the Triple Threat Series, I could do five to six shows in a small hockey arena. And uh, which is nothing wrong with that. I, I can't really knock the Triple Threat Series or the arenas because they've given me all my seat time. I got way more seat time than Adam and Ryan did in my first year. I mean, by the time I had gotten through year one, I probably had seven years of experience that Ryan and Adam had gotten in seven years. So, but if I had to say my favorite that I wish I could, you know, reside in permanently, I would have to say stadiums because there's just nothing like that fast racing, the big air that you can get in the stadiums, the really crazy violent crashes you can get in the stadiums or even the crowds are you know obviously much bigger and a little more electric in the stadium too yeah exactly and uh you kind of you pretty much just answered my next question um so mind reader right there so um yeah so <laughs> from a driver's point of view how cool is it to be from uh sorry from a driver's point of view how cool was it to start from an elevated starting line? Uh, of course, I'm talking about the World Finals 20. So how cool was that to start from an elevated starting line? Oh, that was really awesome. I mean, I know that I uh, didn't really get to compete in the Double Down Showdown because I had a mishap with my starter and my truck. So when I actually when it came down to the actual event and it was time, I had a little bit of mechanical failure, but it happens. I mean, they're 12,000-pound trucks, you know. You can't, can't expect a whole lot sometimes. But um, I did get to go make qualifying passes. I get, did get to practice, and it was awesome. It was it's really crazy to kind of explain this, but when you're actually sitting on top of the mound and you're sitting there on the line, the only thing you could see is straight across to the other side of the stadium, probably like the last 20 rows of the stadium. So it literally felt like you were hanging over a roller coaster that was about to drop out from underneath of you because I could not see the ground. I couldn't see the ramp and I could barely see the track. So it wasn't until the nose of my truck actually entered the downslope that I could actually see where I was going. So it was kind of nerve wracking, kind of living on a prayer and a little bit of faith of, I really <laughs> hope that, you know, the ground is down there when I take off, but it was pretty <laughs> exhilarating. That was some pretty fast racing and uh, it was awesome. I hope I get to go back. Amazing, yeah. And from a um, from a spectator's point of view, just like on YouTube and everything like that, it was it was really cool to see, you know. And I'm guessing the reaction time would have had to have been, you know, through the roof, you know, from going down to 
the slope, then pretty much just turning straight after that, the reaction times would have been through the roof, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. There's really... That's another thing that I think makes Monster Trucks so unique is your reaction time has to be on point. And I think that probably the most... some Like, one of the most reactive drivers or the most reactive driver is probably my brother, Ryan. I think that, like, he just is like a robot or like the Terminator in there. And he can shift so quickly and he knows exactly where he's at all the time. And that's kind of what it takes to be a, like a really, you know, tough competitor in Monster Jam is your reaction time. You have to have some cat-like reflexes and you have to be able to kind of calm your nerves a little bit. Because anybody that had a hard time making it down the track, they were they were very amped up. They were very nervous or anything. And anybody that kind of just drove miss daisy down the track was chilling relaxed back in the pits they didn't really mind so you really do have to have quick reaction time inside those trucks because you it can get bad really quick yeah um so now a big thing that fans in monster Jam absolutely love to see is the freestyle event so in your in your mind what do you think of good freestyle in arena in arenas consist of um, well, it depends. Sometimes you only have 60 to 75 seconds to fill time. So I think an arena freestyle can get a little repetitive if you watch eight trucks hit the same jump over and over and over again. So I think you have to have something exciting in your freestyle, whether it's kind of being on the ragged edge and hitting jumps a little crooked or airing it out and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and getting a little more air than you probably should be inside of an arena or having a crazy crash or one of those wow moments where you have an awesome save or you can throw a, you know, a mini flip in there or a mini backflip in there or a two wheel trick or something like that. It's, it's very hard to win an arena freestyle, I think, because your options are limited. You have about six obstacles to hit and they all look the same. And every single one of the other drivers is hitting them the same exact way so you have to do something that makes yourself stand out exactly and that kind of leads on to my next question is what move do you love doing in a freestyle event um this year in uh 2020 we had introduced the arena backflip well it had gotten it had gotten introduced last year but we actually introduced it into competition this year and I think that's exactly what the arenas were missing a little bit. They were missing a little bit of spice after all of us competitors had kind of figured the track out. You can only watch so many two-wheel tricks back to back to back. So we were yeah. uh, really excited when they um, incorporated the backflip this year. And that was one of my favorite things. I probably, I think I attempted about 10 arena backflips this year eight to 10 arena backflips and i landed um every one of them except one so that was uh one of my favorite things this year was being able to do more backflips than my brothers yeah um so you, you just spoke about the mini flip so how different is that to hitting the actual backflip ramp oh well the actual backflip ramp so if you rewind to my first backflip in 2017 that was a ramp that was built on the side of like a large Connex box or a shipping container. So the insides of those are hollow and the steel on the outside um, isn't quite as strong. So they were really easy to cave in, you know what I mean? So they weren't quite as an aggressive flip. Fast forward now, we hit these things that are, we call them trench boxes and they're a very hard metal trench box. And I actually attempted to hit this when I did my uh, corkscrew attempt at the All-Star Challenge. 
very violent. <laughs> it comes back and it's a very aggressive and abrupt hit. Same thing with the mini flip, actually. The mini flip is, um, they're kind of comparable in a way because they're both can be pretty aggressive. I mean, I know that you're hitting the loader tires, but those loader tires are attached and bolted down to a metal ramp that is hidden inside of the dirt. So, uh, I think that maybe the trench boxes that are in the arena or in the stadiums, you're able to get more air if you hit them correctly, or if you hit them, you know, fast, you can get bigger air and the arena flip is kind of a little more lower momentum into the ground and just kind of like bro and back on your wheels so yes. that's how i would compare them yeah and um it, and from a spectator's point of view it's so cool to see you know the integration of the um i guess you say apac mini flip ground whatever you want to call it now these days um yeah it's just so cool to see how monster gems evolving um, you know, changing the tracks, you know, from day in, day out and just adding new obstacles in. Um, so what would you say is the toughest person to beat in the arena series that you've been on? Oh, um, man, I think, uh, it, it kind of depends competition to competition. This past year, I was on a tour with Justin Sipes and Colton Eichelberger and Colton Eichelberger um when his when his head is in the game his head is in the game and when he's out to win it he's out to win it for sure I mean just like any driver if you catch if you catch them on an off night or a bad night you can kind of slip in there but um Colton is pretty consistent he doesn't really have a lot of bad nights uh as long as everybody's truck is mechanically you know holding up so I would say Colton can be pretty tough to beat. I also found that Tristan England was a little tough to beat in the two wheel scales competition. He's like so smooth and so buttery when it comes to those two wheel tricks. He makes them look so easy and he's almost like a show off with them because he could do them like three or four times back to back in a row. And I'm out here struggling to hold one two wheel <laughs> trick on my nose for 30 seconds and I'm like come on guys isn't this cool and Tristan's out there doing it for a minute and a half he could probably sit there and hold it for five minutes so uh I would have to say um probably Tristan and uh Colton uh they were pretty hard to beat um I actually had a lot of good luck in freestyle being on the uh, triple threat series surprisingly and I actually got a lot faster in racing and I think it comes to racing guys like Tristan and like Colton and you know like those really fast races I, I got the opportunity to race Camden Murphy Camden Murphy's also a very fast racer he comes from NASCAR and being on tour with guys like that it really pushes you to do better because you know it's a food chain around there and if you're you're all fighting for first place so you kind of have to adapt or die and those guys were some of the fastest racers that I ever raced against so I was like well I'm just going to have to be faster than them, I guess. So I, uh, they really pushed me to do better. And um, as aggravating as it would be to lose to them, you know, I, I learned a lot. But those would have to be Tristan and uh, Colton were probably the hardest guys to be on tour with. And it's uh, amazing to hear, you know, them, that they're pushing you to be better, um, which is obviously giving you more experience. So it's amazing to hear that even though that, because all, all truck drivers hate losing, but by them losing, they're actually gaining. Well, I'm guessing that they're gaining more experience on, you know, next week, okay, um, we might need to change this and this and this. So, um, yeah, it's amazing to hear that uh, 
by by losing you're actually gaining i guess say more knowledge of um what you can improve on next week so um, it's just it's just amazing to hear yeah oh yeah watching those guys and watching them do their thing as much as i sat there and watched them beat me i also sat there and watched everything that they did and uh i learned a lot you know i learned a lot about the two wheel skills competition, the throttle control and uh, racing and everything. So it is, it's, you gotta be able to kind of put your pride away a little bit and take notes from guys like that. Cause obviously they're the guy holding the trophy at the end of the day, you need to figure out what he's doing right and you're doing wrong. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you spoke about the nose really, how hard is that to pull off? Um, well, you know, you got drivers like uh, Ty England and Ryan Anderson and Tyler Meninga and guys like that that look like they could do it with their hands tied behind their back. But um, I find it to be pretty challenging. I mean, you have to take a truck, take 12,000 pounds of momentum and 1,500 horsepower and put it down on its nose and find that perfect balance point between too much and not enough while also, you know, shifting in between first and reverse, first and reverse, and kind of finding a little bit of a balance point. And you think about balancing 12,000 pounds on its nose is a little unorthodox anyways, because I'm sitting here <laughs> looking at the dirt. <laughs> I can't really see anything. I'm just, I don't know if, you know, my back end is too far over or not far mm-hmm. enough, or if I'm about to fall forward and be turtled on my back or what. So I kind of found that to be uh pretty challenging and also um with all of our with the exception of a couple of our max d trucks most of all of the trucks in monster jam are rear engine trucks so our trucks are behind the driver's seat so that also you have to take in uh, into consideration the weight of the engine that is also kind of like a kind of acts as like a bobbleheader almost like or a counterweight so it can kind of force that truck over or not far enough so you have to find a balance point between the nose the front tires the engine and everything so like i said some guys can do it first try and some guys it takes them a few tries and i'm the crowd it takes a few tries <laughs> but uh, but i mean uh, practice makes perfect so um yeah oh yeah if you take my moonwalk or my you know my nose really attempt from 2017 and hold it up to my my nose really attempt from 2020 two different people completely (laughs) exactly um so so you actually spoke about uh you know uh two backstage trucks which are tom and neil's that they have the um they have the engines in the front and um yeah adam was saying that um it sort of gives them you know the slightest of advantage because they have that weight in the front so it's easier for the trucks to uh, pop on the uh, pop on the, pop up on the two front wheels, um, and then obviously you guys have the engines in the back. So um, yeah, like you were saying, it's hard to find that balance point. Um, but yeah, the practice makes perfect, I guess. Exactly. I guess I'm just going to keep practicing until I can be better than Tom and Neil and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's the attitude to have. Uh, so talking about the trucks now, uh, can you kind of give us an idea of how safety has has improved the trucks over the years? Oh, yeah. Um, even, you know, in the infancy of my career, I've only been here for four years. And they've Monster Jam is also, that's another thing, is they're also trying to find ways to constantly improve the performance of the trucks and also improve the performance of our safety gear. Cause like I was saying, there is no other motorsport probably in the world besides maybe demolition derby that purposely crashes a vehicle all the time. So, uh, 
when you can, if you take this testimony, my dad would be a good person to ask this question to. If you take his testimony from back in 1982 when he was just driving a monster truck with no helmet and a belt seatbelt across his lap, if he decided to put it on, um, till now where we have a seven point harness, a head and neck restraint, everything, a custom seat, custom racing seat, everything possible to hold us in and keep us safe. It's, uh, it's come a very, very long way. I mean, we're constantly improving the integrity of the chassis that we're actually inside of the different, you know, dimensions of the tubing, the strength of the steel, you know, updating our belts constantly. We're all the time updating our, uh, safety equipment. We don't run it too long. We don't run fire suits too long because we don't want them to get worn or tore or holes in them or anything where fire could possibly reach us. We are all the time um, updating our helmets. You know, we get new helmets every year. Uh, head, our head and neck restraints, our Hans, our R3s are constantly, you know, uh, Simpson racing or some kind of professional will come and take a look at our gear, make sure we have all the proper gear, make sure it doesn't have holes, tears, or any kind of anything that could compromise its integrity. And that's really great. I mean, Adam and Ryan, even Adam and Ryan, they were in, when they had first started, they were in seats that probably weren't the best, but that was the best top of the line for that year. You know, you think of like early, you know, 2000s to 2005, 2006, 2008, and then you fast forward 10 plus years and they're in completely different safety gear than they were then. So I'm really happy that I started in this era where we have top of the line safety gear and uh, I'm strapped in there nice and tight. And I'm glad I wasn't uh, racing back then in the eighties when my dad, you know, might've put a seatbelt on and didn't even know if he owned a helmet or not. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's awesome to hear that you have, um, like I should say a professional most motorist come in and check your safety gear to make sure it's got no um, tears or holes or anything like that, just to make sure that you guys are uh, 150% safe in the trucks. So, oh, it's, uh, yeah. so it's great to hear that um, you yeah, have someone coming in. Yeah, they make us strap completely in, as we would if we were about to go out there and do the biggest stadium freestyle ever. They come in, they strap us in, they make sure that our head and our neck doesn't move, uh, they make sure that our belts are placed in the right place that none of our skin is showing um you know that obviously that uh, the legs of our fire suits are long enough or the arms are long enough when we go to reach for the wheels that you know our wrists aren't exposed or anything like that no holes in the gloves no holes in the fire socks no holes in the shoes anything like that so that has come a very long way but monster jam you know what we expect out of the trucks and the kind of moves and the tricks and what the crowd is expecting now has gotten bigger and bigger and better so we have to make our safety gear bigger and bigger and better. Yeah, exactly. So um, if you had the option to drive another truck, what truck would that be? Mm. And now this can, be from, this can be from 20 plus years ago, or this could be up till now. So it can be any era, any year that you want. Um, but yeah, what truck would you want to drive? Any existing truck? Um... Yeah, any existing truck, any... Um, retired truck any truck that you that you thought to yourself man i really wish i could drive that truck um i would probably go back and drive my dad's uh grandma truck grave digger number one the first one that was uh that used to be the blue and gray body and then he later painted a uh, grave digger you know the graveyard scheme on the front of it 
just because I really want to see what it was like to be him back in the day when he was paving the way for Gravedigger and paving the way for Monster Jam. I think it would be cool to see like the difference between how powerful the engines were then and what they considered to be a really powerful engine compared to, you know, our engines now or the suspension. I'd love to see what they thought of the suspension back then in the eighties. Um, so if, you know, if our grandma truck or our grandma gravedigger truck was still running and operational today, she does sit out front of the gravedigger shop. People can come and see and take pictures of her, but she is resting in peace out there. So if that was, I would like to see that truck in its prime and race that truck when it was completely in its top condition prime and probably take it over some crushed cars and see what that was actually like for my dad back in the day. And it might explain <laughs> some of his brain damage that he has now. Um, yeah, so that's, that's awesome to say that you'd uh, go, th- uh, go back and uh, drive your dad's, I guess, say original grave digger. Um, and yeah, that... That has to be one of my favorite grave digs, you know, just the blue and uh, silver paint scheme that um, your dad and also Adam used to run back in 2012, I think it was. So it's uh, cool to see that you want to, I guess you say, restore that and um, take that for, I guess you say, a joyride if you want to put it that way. What would you uh, drive? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, You know what else? You know how, you know, you have. I see that you have a picture of Avenger on here. Yeah, you know, Jim Kohler. Jim Kohler makes a very tough monster truck. He yes. His, I would be very interested to see what it is like to be in the cab with Jim Kohler <laughs> when he's doing what Jim Kohler does. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'll be able to survive 30 seconds if, if I was in a truck because that dude is just absolutely insane when, you know, even, even back, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, when um, the trucks weren't built to what they are now. You know, he was still, you know, flipping, doing backflips, sideflips, or whatever, whatever you want to say. And yet his truck would still be, you know, able to go another two, three minutes. So, like you said, he has one of the. T- I'm pretty sure he's got the toughest truck in the world. Or you know, his trucks are the toughest trucks in the world. I um, mean, you know, he said that over time. But um, yeah, he's he's definitely. Um, if I had to pick a truck to drive, um, um. Currently sitting in my uh, son of a digger T-shirt, so it'd have to be um, uh, probably Sud, um, yeah, or maybe uh, even Megalodon, maybe, yeah, um, you know. So e- either one of those, um, pretty much just any. If I could get into any truck, I don't care what it would be. Um, yeah, just any truck. Um, I'm not really fast, you know. Pretty much a truck's a truck to me, and um, you know, if it happens to be Grave Digger or Max D or um, say. You know, Avenger or any, just any truck, I'm, I'm not really fast. Um, but my favourite truck of all time, uh, yeah, would be Sud. So if I had the opportunity to pick one truck, then, yeah, it'd have to be Sud. Well, you'd um, be in for a very dreamy ride because Ryan's <laughs> truck is very pimped out on the inside. He's very particular about the cab of his truck and how he likes it set up. And also his suspension is probably um the number one suspension package we're right up there next to adams adam has a really great suspension package Mm. in his truck so i feel like you'd probably be driving on a cloud (laughs) (laughs) yeah um well adam was saying that um when um ryan drove his truck that he said that his truck is completely different to um what ryan's truck was um because he doesn't have i'm pretty sure he said he doesn't have a locker in the front 
Um, big, uh, it's either a lot he does or not does. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's cool to see how different um, the difference between Ryan and Adam's truck are. Uh, trucks are and just the different ways that people set their trucks up depending on what they have you know if they have a lock in the front if they don't or if they have a different obviously different trucks have different suspension packages um so yeah it's it's awesome to see that um you know different drivers get to drive different trucks um so i guess they could learn so you know say okay this truck has a better better handling system than i do so maybe i can um you know pinch a couple of ideas from here and you know, maybe apply them to my truck without them noticing. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like a, I guess you say, like an intel on uh, how different drivers drive different trucks or how they set their trucks up. So, uh, yeah, that's a, it is pretty common. I mean, especially for our veteran drivers, you know, like Tom, you know, Neil, my brothers, they kind of, they've been around the block. You know, they know what's good, what's not good. And I'm still learning that because yeah. I uh, my truck is, I wouldn't generic kind of sounds like a bad word. It's not really generic, but the trucks are all, you know, all the trucks that are built nowadays are all built exactly the same. You know, mm. like my truck is pretty similar to like Tyler's truck because Tyler is a newer grave digger or like all of the other generic black chassis are all mm. the same. It's all the same shock package. It's all the same, everything else. Whereas Tom and Neil and, Everybody else will, you know, have their engines in the front or the back or they'll run no sway bars or, you know, extra sway bars or they'll run limit straps or chains or this or that. And so I'm trying to kind of have Adam and Ryan put me on the up and up of what's cool, what's not cool yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's a good uh, I, I really want Adam and Ryan to help me um, tune the suspension on my truck, because to me. I'm brand new, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, the truck lands great. You know, <laughs> like it lands great. Yeah. And then Adam and Ryan are like, really? Cause it looked like you just threw a potato across the yard and it <laughs> looked like, it, you know, landed like a potato or whatever. I'm like, well, maybe it does compared to your truck, but yeah, it's so crazy. Like my brothers and my dad, are, you know, they all have like this talent where they can literally look at a truck, watch it run, watch it make one jump. And they know exactly what it needs to be dialed redialed what's wrong with the engine what's wrong with the transmission what's wrong with you know the u-joints anything like that they know exactly what's wrong because they've been around it and driven them for so long so whenever they come out and they don't have a show and they get to see me at my show they're like why are they running you know five turns in the rear and four turns in the front and this and i'm like i don't know guys i'm just driving you know i'm just driving. <laughs> yeah. it feels good to me and they're like well it looks terrible i'm like well okay we'll fix it so <laughs> I hope that one day I get to be at that point where I know I have lots of knowledge of, I mean, I feel like I have a fair amount of knowledge, but as much knowledge as my brothers and everybody else to be like, Hey, I need a really nice shock package on this truck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that's absolutely amazing to hear um, that, you know, you're pretty much asking your brothers for help, you know, cause they've been around, like you said, they've been around the block a couple of times, you know, so they, like you said, they know, um, you know, within the first jump, they know exactly what's wrong and they can fix it pretty much within, let me say, 10 minutes or something like that. Um, so if you had the opportunity to go international, would you take it and where would you go? Oh, and I would absolutely love to go international and, you know, not to try and uh, 
win you over, but I would love to go to Australia. My brothers have some of the best memories in Australia. They love touring Australia. Um, I have gone international. One time, if you would consider international overseas, I did get to go to Finland, and Finland was great. When I did go to Finland, it was the dead of winter, so it was very cold, <laughs> and uh, the, it was the culture there was cool. It was really different. I didn't realize that, um, you know, uh, Europeans could be more, uh, they're more reserved than Americans are. So when we did the show there, uh, the crowd, where well, they were enjoying themselves, but we, we had a hard time telling that they were enjoying themselves because they were being very respectful and just kind of clapping and like some light cheering you know like we were at a golfing event and uh, we were like this is monster jam you know like we wanted in america everybody would be you know painting their faces and their hair and they'd have signs and they'd be screaming and they'd be you know getting escorted out by security and stuff and here in uh finland they were all very laid back in a very respectful culture there so that was pretty cool, but I'd like to see what it would be like in Australia because my brothers said they loved Australia. They would tour Australia for a month at a time, and yeah. they would tour the east and the west coast. Yeah, and um, it's a, um, it's absolutely amazing to see what you guys um, can bring over here. You know, whether it be Adam, Neil, Tom, Camden, Stephen, um, just any of those guys come over and bring what you guys um, do there and bring it over here because. Um, you know, I said this in my other podcast that we we have, you know, like monster companies here and everything like that. But because we don't have the, you know, technology and everything that you guys have, we're not able to do, you know, the nose wheelies or the uh, bicycles or stuff like that. You know, we've done two backflips and stuff like that. We've done multiple backflips attempt, backflip attempts, but, um, yeah, we can't, um, yeah, we can't constantly be doing them because we don't have the... Um, you know, technology and, you know, the safety equipment and stuff that you guys have. Um, so it's awesome to see what you guys bring over, uh, what you guys do in the States and bring it over to, you know, Australia or China or Japan or um, wherever you guys go um, off into the world. So, um, yeah, and we'd love to see you come over, you know, I guess you could say that pretty much completes the uh, Anderson Trio because uh, we've had Adam and Ryan, like you said, uh, we've had them come over. Um, so it'd be amazing to have you come over just to complete that, uh, just, you know, to complete the Anderson Trio um, and just to kind of see um, if you can, uh, you know, almost integrate what you do in the arenas to uh, chuck it into a uh, stadium. So it'd be amazing to see you come over. That would be very exciting. I would hope that I get the opportunity to go. That would be really great. I would love to meet all of the fans out in Australia. I know. Some of y'all have came to the World Finals, and I've got to meet some Aussies before, but I would like to go out there and see some kangaroos and koalas and hang out with the great whites and stuff. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, Kristen, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to say or ask me? or pl Is there anything you want to say or ask, or do you want to plug anything, or this is your time to, to speak, I guess? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I feel like I haven't really gotten to ask you a lot of questions. So where are uh, you from in Australia? Where are you calling me from? Uh, so um, I'm in a little place called Goulburn, uh, which is not really known to, um, you know, people um, across the world. But um, to, to the, what I normally say is I uh, live in Sydney, um, which is where the... Uh, Monster Jam tours normally come. They normally go to Sydney, 
Um, but yeah, I live in a, I used to say like a small town called Goulburn, um, which is currently where I'm calling you from. Very nice. I know where Sydney's at. I know where Sydney. I've seen Nemo. I've seen Finding Nemo. Um, (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Um, I've never talked to anybody this far away. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, if you guys are interested, you guys can follow me on my Instagram. It's Kristen.Anderson. Just how you spell my name with a dot in between the Kristen and the Anderson. And that's probably my main line of social media. And, uh, of course, follow Ben. Thank you, Ben. You've been really great. All your questions were awesome. And uh, I hope maybe we can do a podcast again. Exactly. And um, see if I can try and get uh, you, Adam, and Ryan. Uh, see if I can try and get all you threes on and uh, have a trio of Anderson's podcast. I don't know. I'll yeah. think of Come some see us in the States. It. Come see yeah, us in the States. Come I'll to World Finals. But, um, <laughs> When the uh, this whole coronavirus and everything uh, blows over, we'll see if um see if I can try and vote my dad into it and uh yeah. see if we can come over during the world finals and um can have a chat or something like that and um and go from there. Yeah, how's uh, how is that over there in Australia? How is it going out outside of the bubble of the United States? Yeah, well um for I think it was uh, two or three weeks um you know we were doing okay and then it kind of blew up. Um, in Melbourne and Victoria and places like that, I mean, they're getting, you know, four, five, six hundred new cases every day. Um, so it's a pretty scary place at the moment over in Victoria. Um, but where I currently, but where I'm currently uh, am, um, it's not too bad. I mean, we don't have any active cases um, in Goulburn, uh, which is a which is a positive. Um, but I mean, we're slowly starting to get new cases every day. Um, so whether or not our lockdown kind of slowly comes back into place or it just kind of hits us, um, that's really all up to what the government um, says. So where, where I am, we're currently, I guess you say, we're in a good place. Um, but there's, um, you know, like in Victoria and Melbourne and places like that, I mean, they're, this is like the worst they've ever been because um, we never really had a first wave. Um, I mean, we had, you know, maybe a couple of hundred cases here and there every couple of weeks. But um, this is our first real first wave, I guess you could say, of coronavirus. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be living in a, in a very small town where pretty much everyone knows each other. Um, so, I mean, yes, we'll have people coming from Canberra and Sydney and stuff like that. So there, there is a there's still a high risk of someone in Goldman getting it but um because we're pretty much almost so on top of it that if someone gets it then um they'll pretty much put it up on our Goldman Facebook page and say okay someone in um someone in um Goldman has got it um and um they're doing the right steps and everything like that well that's that's cool. I, uh, yeah, so me, and my, me and my brothers, we live in a really small area here in North Carolina, which is located on the Atlantic Ocean side of the states. And it, like I said, it's a very small town. Same thing. Everybody kind of knows each other. So we're staying pretty safe over here, too. So you guys stay safe over there in your part of the outback, too. Yeah, and you, uh, same for you guys. You know, you need to stay safe and everything like that. Um, and, you know, hopefully you guys don't catch or anything like that. Um, but unfortunately, fans, this is all we have time for. I would like to say a huge thank you for Kristen for coming onto the podcast today. 
Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, friends, that is all we have time for. Uh, make sure to um, like and um, share this podcast around. Um, follow Kristen on her Instagram, which is kristen.anderson. Um, and make sure to follow me on my Instagram, which is just benhall04. Uh, so bhall04. Um, and yeah, we'll um, see if I can try and get a see if I can try and get all three Andersons on the podcast one day, um, which I'm sure will be a cracking episode. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so thanks so much for being on the podcast, Kristen. Um, and we'll catch you all later. Thank you. Aww. See ya.